Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kutch with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning his Brissett. Outs it all. It's it to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. And I am joined today by no stranger to any of you Pacer fans out there. I'm joined by the host of Locked On Pacers, Tony East. Tony, thanks so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. Happy to be talking Pacers since I never get to do this. And uh, doing yeah. with you, Alex, will be a good time. <laughs> exactly. We haven't done a podcast together in a minute, so it's good to hear from yeah. you. And, uh, you know, I feel like I hear from you quite often listening to your show, but uh, it, it's still good to just be able to communicate with you. So today we're going to do a fun little exercise that I came up with called fill in the blank. So I gave Tony 12 different fill in the blank sentences here, and he has to complete the sentence. So let's just jump right into it. Um, We'll start here with number one. The biggest area of concern for the Pacers moving forward is what? Defense. Is that lame? Is that too obvious? I mean, (laughs) no, I think it's pretty on point. You know, every year since 2017, 18, since Vic played the whole year, they get a little worse on defense. They were sixth and they were in the middle and now they're at the bottom and they were really good. They were third in 2018, 19, like things in the early Vic days on defense, they were special. They were really good. And that's when the team was actually threatening and good in the playoffs and actually had serious ambitions to win around. And then their defense started slipping and then they brought in some new guys and it slipped some more. And then they changed your coaching staff and it slipped some more. And then they changed your coaching staff again. And now everybody knows their defense is awful. They're one of the worst defensive teams in the entire NBA. They're down to 26 as of the time of recording, though it is possible. Actually, no, they can't fall tonight. None of the teams behind them play. So they will be 26 by the time you listen They suck on that end. And, you know, it's not surprising given their roster, but it is surprising to me because in the last offseason, we heard Pritchard do all the hard hat lunch pail stuff and they got brought in Tory Craig. Like they made it a point and they just got worse. So they've got to get better on that end if they want to compete next year. Yeah, no, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to look at because I've been kind of perplexed by how bad the defense has been. Like I get I get Nate Bjorkren, like what he did was just odd. I understand that you know, that season being an anomaly, but like with Rick Carlisle here, him really putting on the, uh, you know, telling us Lloyd Pierce to run in the defense, it just kind of makes you wonder, like, I get it roster wise. There are some concerns here in terms of uh, who's playing right now defensively, no TJ Warren, no Miles Turner right now, Brogdon hurt once again. So it's like, I get it. Some of your better defenders aren't able to play TJ McConnell could be in that conversation as well, since he led the league in steals last year. But, you know, I, I just don't know how they go about fixing it, especially because it seems like Carlisle had a reputation for, for having a good defense, and, unless I'm, I'm completely wrong on that. Well, yeah, his, his big adjustment, the zone against the Heat, was a defensive adjustment, right, that he's mm-hmm. known for it. And I, and I was, man, I don't know, a young teenager when that series happened, right? So, like, I can't remember that. Like, I don't remember if he was in charge of that decision to, to make the adjustment or if an assistant was at the time. I don't remember. That team also had Tyson Chandler who was an amazing defender and Sean Marion, who was an amazing, like they had a lot of really good defenders. Like you can get away with 
interesting defensive stuff. So I never know how much of a defense uh, defense's growth and, and fall is because of coaching in the roster. Like last year was a little more obvious because they had almost the exact same team and were doing gimmicky stuff. This year, they had the same team and it was less gimmicky, but it was worse. And then mm-hmm. they switched up the team and it's still bad. So it, it's hard to say this year. It seems like it should be a coaching thing, but I don't see them doing anything that seems like egregious besides just guys getting blown by over and over again. Yeah, so hopefully they address that in the offseason and get some better defenders on this roster. But let's move on to fill-in-the-blank number two. Tyrese Halliburton will grow as a player if he improves what? Yeah, just replay my first answer. If you Defense? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, you know, that's not the only thing. Uh, defense is certainly his worst side of the ball. I don't, I don't think anybody disagrees with that. He's not like an awful defender or a bad defender. Like guys who can read the game and recognize patterns can do so on offense and defense like his positioning is good he's in guys faces he's not like a bad defender but with his frame he will always be sort of limited unless he puts on some muscle and some height which it's impossible to put on height as an adult and the other thing I would say he needs to improve at and he says this himself all the time is being more aggressive shooting the ball more often right like he has identified a lot of games where he's like yeah I was too passive I was passing too much I need to to take it in and score and that can be a good thing. Like being that guy who's trying to set up your, your teammates all the time is very noble, but he is a good shooter at the basket. He is a good shooter from deep. He's a decent mid-range finisher. He's got the little herky-jerk mid-ranger that lets him be threatening there. He can score from a lot of places. He's just got to take them more, and it always surprises me that he doesn't actually do it. Yeah, and I think it was uh, it was kind of wild to me watching that game against Cleveland. He was one of four to start off the game. And then he was fantastic in that third quarter. I think between the second and third quarter, he had eight straight made baskets. And then he only takes one shot in the fourth quarter, which was a, was a heave at the end of the game. So I understand what they were doing in terms of, you know, trying to attack with certain players against certain matchups. But if he is supposed to be the face of the franchise, I just feel like, like you said, he's got to be more assertive in those moments. And then I go back to that Thunder game uh, a couple of weeks ago when he threw the ball to Isaiah Jackson in the corner there in a very close game. And it's, and it's like, why are you passing to a center out there on the baseline? This is your time to, you know, take a shot. And where, where the paces are at this season, they're clearly not trying to win games. Losing is the ultimate goal here, right? So I think in these games where he can learn from this and grow as a player, he should be more willing to, take on these mistakes or, or learn from these mistakes, take on these challenges. And I'd rather him fail now early in his career than, you know, come a serious game when we're playing for a playoff spot or we're playing in the playoffs where he's a little bit too passive there. I'd rather him just kind of take these moments that he has to be more aggressive with it. Yeah. Brogdon that Cavs fourth quarter, like five assists, two big buckets in the last minute. I get why he was the guy Rick turned to mm-hmm. when they were trying to win it, but to Tyree should have had, I mean, I talked about this on Lockdown Pacers too. Like, he should have had the, prior to the last minute, he should have had the ball way more. He had no assists either, right? Like, so he he wasn't involved much at all. And so some of that was the case. Yeah, like you mentioned, coverages and defensive matchups. And that, that was a weird game flow quarter because they were guarding Darius Garland like 75 feet from the basket, right? So everything gets out of whack when that happens. But yeah, that that is way too little involvement. He did draw a foul, right? So he had one like shot attempt, air quotes. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I definitely needs to be, especially in that kind of situation, you know, be yeah. a little bit more involved. I just, I mean, even if he misses, I'm okay with seeing that because at least you're seeing the growth from right. him, from being assertive. So, uh, question or fill in the blank number three here: the Buddy Heald experience has been what? Weird was my gut <laughs> answer when you sent me these a few days ago. So I said weird because. Like when I watched the Kings before, and I, this is no secret, like Kings fans were like, you know, finally, Buddy Hill's on our team. You know, like they were so excited. And when you watch Buddy in Sacramento, like he wasn't good. You know, that that was something that, you know, the reason I remember watching him a lot in the past was, uh, you'll remember this, Alex, is like when the Victor trade stuff was going on, people talked about Buddy all the time. And I did. Big <laughs> trades, right? And, and so I remember watching him back then being like, this guy's just not good. Like he's sort of a ball hog and his defense is really bad. And then he comes here and, he is like the an insanely good passer. Like he had a whip around pass, uh, not against Cleveland the game before that. Yeah, but versus Wizards. Washington. Yeah. My gosh, I was like, Buddy Heald, what was that? He has 24 assists in his last three games since joining the Pacers. He's at like six assists per game. Like if he's that guy, even with all the things I still think he kind of stinks at, like he does take some ill-advised shots. His defense is not very good. And his randomness, while is good for a growing team, can sometimes cause hiccups in like offensive timing and rhythm. Like if he can pass it all, 
then he's good. Like he immediately becomes a good player instead of just a one trick pony. So it, it's been weird with my, my gut answer because he's playing way different than the guy that I've watched for seasons and seasons in Sacramento. But it's also been very like pleasantly surprising to see a guy completely shed his reputation so quickly. And, you know, he came here and he said, I'm really excited to not be in Sacramento anymore. He didn't say that, but he implied that. Yeah. And he, he, he is proving why he said that a new opportunity has been very good for him. Yeah, I would I would have filled this in as better than expected just because, I mean, everybody that you heard from there, like a Buddy Hill's contract was a throw and it was a salary dump. Uh, we had Matt George on our podcast to talk about the trade and he was like, Buddy Hill might be enjoyable for right now, but give him a couple of weeks and you'll realize how bad of a player he is. I mean, Sacramento fans were definitely not in, in tune with Buddy. They did not like him that much, but uh, yeah, I think the, the welcome here to Indiana has been good for him. I think Rick Carlisle has been good for him. And like you said, the the playmaking has just come out of nowhere. Uh, I've nicknamed him Buddy Dimes now because he just continues to just make really good passes, and that's not something I expected to see. Now, we've seen some inconsistent shooting games. I think he went 1-10 of not too long ago. I think that might have been against Detroit, but there's just been some games where he's not been on, but he's impacting the game in other ways despite not being a great defender. So I, I think that overall Buddy Hill has been pretty pretty solid for, for a starting a wing player that's you know a little bit undersized probably at playing that three that he's playing right now yeah, he is so he's four games in the first 11 for the Pacers where he takes at least 17 shots and shoots 35 percent or worse like that that is a bad game you know and that is I think where a lot of holdup is for the Kings is like we had we had Darren Fox and they had you know all these other guys and the Kings fans are like oh, you know buddy stop like you know what are you, what are you doing you're shooting this out of the game and that's happened with the Pacers four times but like in nine of his 11 games with the Pacers, they've outscored the other team with him on the floor, and single game plus minus is extremely fluky, but his minutes go well because he provides spacing and he's passing and he's actually a dual threat who you know guys have to help off of a little more. And for a team that has had no shooting prior to him joining the team, he, he has been surprisingly helpful. I think that's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Chris Duarte has proven what this rookie season? Uh, a lot is a terrible <laughs> answer to that. I'll be talking about Duarte on Lockdown Pitchers tomorrow as well. I think he's proven that he's going to be an elite shooter, which doesn't really fit in the blank of the sentence. Um, but that is that is what I will say he has proven to me. You know, he is really good at hard shots, and I don't necessarily think like his long-term best role projection says he should just be taking these hard off the dribble shots all the time. He should take some, but not all of them. But he is he takes some tough threes and he drills them and he's an above average three point shooter now taking a ton already he's taken I don't have the total for me he's taken 250 as a rookie and hitting a bunch of them and they're all contested and he's taking them off the bounce they're not all assisted like a lot of these young guys out there his his percent assisted threes is only 75% basically which is really impressive in general so i think he's basically a lock to be an elite shooter and he's proven that already and He's also a decent defender and can do stuff off the bounce. Like, he'll be a good player. He can do a lot of stuff. But I think, to me, the thing he has proven is that, and this will be literally the title of Lockdown Pacers tomorrow, spoiler, uh, he is going to be an elite shooter. No, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I, I hate that he's had some random injuries throughout the year that have kind of kept him from getting into a rhythm. I think he did hit a bit of a rookie wall uh, earlier in the year, but I think also just losing in the whole – you know, mentality of the team, this, the, the morale, I guess, just seemed a little bit weird because everybody was anticipating trades. But I, I guess my question for you, too, because I think I heard you say this on your podcast, so correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you say that you think Duarte off the bench makes more sense than him as a starter right now? I still think that, yeah. Um, okay. I, well, my okay. question is, I, I think for me, I would only reason I'd push back on that is if you feel like him and Halliburton are the long-term future together in the backcourt with potentially Isaiah Jackson uh, as part of that core, wouldn't you like to see them get as many minutes together as possible? Or do you think that that's still going to happen with them coming off the bench? Uh, yeah, I want both. <laughs> um, but yeah, I get that that's like impossible to do. And the problem with that is, you know, I obviously want all those data points and that'll probably be a segment for me later this month, but you know, I think that it's more important right now that he gets lots of touches. I know mean, I think that's true for any young player. I think Halbert should get a lot of touches too. That's why when I talk about his games with Brogdon and Buddy, instead of, you know, shot attempts or passes or whatever, I use touches. Like who's getting the reps the most? And I think Duarte can get the most touches of the ball with the second unit, which is tough because then he is likely without, you know, Halliburton for all those minutes or likely without Isaiah Jackson for some of those minutes or who, whoever's going to be in your next core. But I also think, you know, for all of Halliburton, Duarte, Jackson, whatever young guy they think will be on the team next year, all of them should be put in situations where they can 
get as many reps doing things that'll be important to the next iteration of the Patriots as possible. So yes, I am all for uh, data collection, but I think the data collection stuff is more important for guys that's futures are a little cloudier, you know, like Brogdon mm-hmm. Turner, uh, Buddy, all those guys who yeah, maybe they stick around, maybe they don't, but their timeline makes a little less sense. I think the data collection stuff is more important for them and the skill growth is more important for the young guys. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. So maybe you, you push back on me on my pushback and I'll uh, I'll go with what you're saying. Cause as I mean, long as, as long as we have points that aren't just completely stupid, it doesn't, you know, it's fine. It doesn't, you know, yeah, no, I mean, but what you're saying makes a lot of sense too, because we clearly need to see what some of these guys that could be here short term look like right. with some of these guys from the core. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm sure I missed someone in there too, but that, that's what I feel like with data collection, too. like <laughs> even Lance to an extent, like how does Lance fit in this guard rotation? You know? So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of questions about all that stuff. Number five for filling the blank. The most likely Pacers free agent to return next season is who? I mean, there's not that many free agents uh, because of all the trades they made. TJ Warren is probably my answer. Uh, I would say Jalen Smith, if you didn't continue to play amazing every single time he walks on the floor. Um, So I think TJ Warren's going to be my answer because there's not a lot of free agents. I I think he likes it here, and I think it's a good opportunity for him to get minutes and rehab some value. But there's, I mean, Jalen Smith might be the best answer. I don't know. It's hard to say. Did I miss someone obvious? Well, Lance is one, and so is Kiefer Sykes. I don't know yeah, anybody Kiefer else. Yeah, Kiefer I'd put last, I think. Yeah. Um, actually, Rubio I'd put last, and then oh. I'd put Kiefer above. <laughs> yeah, Ricky Rubio's Rubio. on the team, guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I didn't even really consider Lance. Maybe I should, but, I mean, he, yeah, he does make sense on the Pacers when they're worse, and they probably won't be amazing next year, so maybe he could be back. But I feel like it makes more sense for them to keep Warren and Smith than Lance, so I would put those two guys above him, and – so if Jalen was was playing kind of good, but not amazing to the point where like I thought they could afford him. And I still think they have a shot at it, to be clear. I don't think he like I think people are being a little extreme about how much he's he's outplayed his contract. But I do think he has outplayed it to some extent. So it's gonna be hard to keep him unless he's showing some loyalty. So that's why uh, I think it's gonna be Warren. I just think everybody should replay what he did in the fourth quarter of the Cavs game <laughs> for the rest no, of no, the no, year. No. Just the last 30 seconds. He was four for four that quarter. (laughs) The last 20 seconds, right? That's right. That's right. right. (laughs) So just, I know it's so funny because I was like, we're not talking enough about Jalen Smith and that great game he had in Orlando. And everyone's like, yeah, there's a point for that. Quit talking about it. I just, I find it hilarious. I think the conversation is funny, but I I do want to talk about TJ Warren for a quick second. Obviously it's been frustrating. I think probably for him and for fans, just because we haven't been able to see him for two years and, Quite frankly, this team the last few years has really missed him. And I think not just him as a player, but the position that he plays and what he provides to this team talent-wise. So um, I think bringing him back, it makes a lot of sense. But there also has to be some concern about this injury moving forward if he really does fit and everything. So my my question for you is, um, maybe it's a two-part question. One, do you think we see him at all by the end of the season? And, And two, what kind of contract do you think is worth giving TJ Warren if they do bring him back? Yeah, another no update from Carlisle. I saw that today. Yeah. Before we recorded this. So it's tough to say. Like, I think if they were okay, they might be a little more willing to do it. Um, and, and But I bet Warren, you know, as an upcoming free agent, would like to play. You know, it, it's a little different with, with Miles and McConnell, who have their money next year already locked up. There's no point of them going out and proving their – you know, there's not as much of an urgency for them to go out and prove their their worth and their fill with this team outside of wanting to play basketball because they love it. Whereas with Warren, it's like, okay, if I even if I play five games, if I play decent in those games, like that that could be big for me. So I don't I don't actually know enough to give like a percentage of returns. I think it's possible. I definitely think it's possible that he plays this season, but I don't I, I can't say for sure. Uh, and you know, it, it's like the same thing with Jalen. Like the the thing T.J. Warren will want, his group will want is. Pretty obvious, right? They want a, a one plus one from the Pacers because then he could, if he if he's awesome, he can opt out. He still has full bird rights with the Pacers. If he sucks, he can opt in and get two years of guaranteed money. You know, I'm assuming he would like a longer deal, obviously, uh, coming off an injury, but the Pacers would like a shorter deal. So that seems like the happy medium. And then he could come off the books again right before they have to pay Halliburton. So that seems like a win-win, but uh, he would have to obviously be willing to take a shorter deal. So it might depend how he plays the rest of the season. It might depend on what his desires are. There's a lot of factors, but uh, I, th- I think he could be back. I think one factor that possibly could be uh, something to look at too is who they draft. If they draft someone that sure. plays this position, um, does he want to come back here? Because he might not get the same touches or the same rule that he wants. So um, that's interesting to keep an eye on. I think that's been a very like quiet storyline that we haven't really hit too much, but I think we'll 
obviously get hotter as we approach the summer. But uh, this is probably your favorite fill in the blank one here. The most likely <laughs> Pacers player to be traded My for next season is who? <laughs> Thankfully, I don't have to put much brain power brain power into it. I, I think it's Miles um, because of contracts. Oh, wow. I think it's Miles because of contracts exclusively. Okay. Uh, because he's expiring, right? Like they they can't lose him for nothing. His value goes down every day. It has gone down every day since he got hurt and didn't get traded at the deadline. So yeah, he he'd be very good on the Pacers. He'd fit in very well with what they've been lacking in recent games. Uh, very well with what they've been lacking in recent games. But he only has one year left on his deal, you know. And if they, if they really like Isaiah Jackson and they have Goga and maybe they draft another big now, maybe Jalen Smith comes back. They actually have front court options that make some sense for them long term especially in the form of Isaiah Jackson, who they've been starting recently, where you don't have to panic about keeping him or extending him or whatever. Like, I think an extension would make sense. But if he doesn't extend, I think he seems like the most likely to me because he's on an expiring deal next year. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I've actually said I feel like he's probably the most likely to return on our podcast. And Ooh. the only reason why I say that is because I feel like he fits what Carlisle wants at that center position. I agree um, with that. And so to me, it's like, okay, he's got one year uh, left. He's an unrestricted free agent after next year. So if the Pacers don't want to give him an extension, at least they can bring him back for one year and then figure out maybe a trade at the deadline again. But I've heard so many Miles Turner trade rumors over the last four years. <laughs> I feel like I'll die before he's actually traded from the Pacers. So it's like it's like every year we think it's about to happen. Oh, it's going to happen. And then something, something prevents it from happening. And I'm also curious, too, if this injury that he has is a concern also heading into the offseason because – he doesn't get back out there and play uh, this year. I think that could be a little bit telling of how concerned they could be about the potential of this injury. So, you know, there's a lot of factors there. Um, obviously, everyone wants to bring up Malcolm Brogdon for this one. I mean, it makes sense why they'd want to trade Brogdon if they do go that route in terms of um, wanting to pair Halbert and Duarte together or they draft a guard. Uh, in the upcoming draft. But I, I think it's so hard to determine who is likely to be traded. But I think there's a small case that we could that I could make TJ McConnell could be the most likely to be traded because I just don't think he fits uh, with Carlisle's system. Uh, I agree with the McConnell stuff. I just don't. <laughs> I don't what's his value now? Like, do you have any? And if, if, you're not getting, if you're not getting positive value for the guy, which that guy, I liked the contract when they signed it, but now that they have now that they have Hal Burton and he got hurt really bad and didn't play for a bunch of months, it looks a lot worse. But I, yeah, it depends who comes back. Like if Brogdon's not on the team, he becomes way more valuable immediately, right? And same kind of thing we talked about with Lance or who they draft. Like that's the problem with picking these these trades is like, oh, if they jump up to, to one or two, all of a sudden Turner becomes more expendable because you have other young bigs on your team, or if they get Ivy, then it's a different thing. And if they get Keegan Murray, then it's a different thing. Like who they draft could influence these answers too, which also makes it a little challenging. Yeah, that's it, it's so weird to be in this position with the draft, having a chance at a at a top four pick, uh, but probably somewhere between you know one and eight at this point. But um, yeah, so speaking of the draft, number seven, the pace, the best prospect in the twenty twenty two NBA draft for the Pacers is who? I did not mean to segue you, but I'm glad I did. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so I have officially become a Chet Holmgren number one. Best okay. player guy. He is really good, I think. And I think that he'll probably be my answer to this question just because I think he's the best player. And they have, you know, outside of one year of miles, potentially like no vet bigs, right? So like nothing's blocking him from being really good. But Jabari Smith, man, he he's really good too. And he probably would be better guarding fours long term. Actually, he, well, he certainly would be than Chet. Um, He'd probably, he'd probably be the best of the top guys at guarding fours long-term. Banchero's pretty good at it. I don't know. But I think I think Jabari Smith's a really good fit, too. I think he's a really good plug-and-play just because of his skill set. So I think those two guys are the top two by far. So they're, they're the only two I'm kind of deciding between. But mm -hmm. if, they, if they end up uh, with one and they can pick anybody, my answer is Chet. But in, in a vacuum, like a forward, obviously, seems like the best thing. Okay, well, let's just assume they are somewhere in that five to seven range. Ugh, ugh. Anybody not as good after four? <laughs> okay, I didn't know if there's anybody. I mean, obviously, Keegan Murray's a name that's been up there. The, the, um, AJ so the reason I know a lot about I don't know a lot. I'm not gonna lie. I haven't watched Iowa yet, so I won't say I know a lot about Keegan Murray. The reason I know who Keegan Murray is and have like perked up eyebrows about him is his advanced stats are like hilariously good for like the barometers I have for what makes a good prospect. Like they're all perfect. But when I I've watched, I think one or two well, they played iu so i've seen those games but yeah uh i've seen like two or three keegan murray games and i've never been like oh this guy's so obviously an nba player you know and you know i haven't watched all his games i'm not going to evaluate him based on that but 
his advanced stats, I'm like, oh my God, this guy should be amazing. So I don't know how I feel about him. And I don't, I know nothing about basically anybody else uh, outside of the top four. Uh, ben yeah. Matherin. I love Ben Matherin. Pick him at five. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, he's, he's, I've seen people have him in that range. So it'll be interesting to see. I think one of the most interesting prospects that could be in this draft is Shaden Sharp, uh, the guard that went to Duke at the beginning of this semester, second semester. He's eligible for the draft. Just a mystery box right now. And so, just determining what he's going to be could be interesting. I don't know if the Pacers really need a player like that, but he's a six foot five shooting guard. So um, number one, I think he's ranked for the 2023 class. So there is some intrigue there, but I, I'll, uh, I'm just curious to see what they do here, but I want to go back to Chet real quick because a lot of Pacer fans push back on this conversation. When you bring up Chet Holmgren, obviously I understand it. He's a very tall man who has not got a lot of weight on him. So the, the, the body frame here is, somewhat concerning to a degree, but I think a lot of it's being overblown. Um, but do you think Chet is a, is a center in the NBA or do you think he oh, could yeah. be more of a power forward? I think he can do both. Anyone who has uh, frame concerns, I, I have, I have a Google research project for those people. Okay. I would like them to search the following terms into Google one, Anthony Davis college, number two, Joel Embiid college and report back to me with those burlesque strong men that, that obviously have to be huge players in college to be good NBA players. I hate the frame argument. I think it's super dumb. <laughs> players get stronger in the NBA. Gogo was tiny when he came to the Pacers too. Um, I have a hilarious picture of Joel Embiid saved to dunk on people with that exact argument when the time comes for draft time. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I think he can play the four certainly because he's got perimeter skills. I mean, he can, he yeah. can handle the ball really well. There's a lot of blocks he does where he just takes it for the Zags. He just takes it to the other end of the floor himself. So yes, I definitely think he can play the four and, the reason I think that mostly is because I'm a big, like, you are what you guard kind of guy. That's why I want to see Isaiah Jackson guard force to play for. But I definitely think Chet has the the perimeter defending ability to guard some force. Yeah, I, I would say this, like you said earlier. I, I've, I've said if they draft Chet, then Miles is gone. Um, but if they draft anybody else, I think Miles potentially stays, just depending on what else is out there. But I think for sure if you see Chet as a Pacers pick, then Miles is most likely traded. But It's probably fine for a year, I think, yeah. to have both. But if, if they do pick Chet, even if Miles isn't traded, there's no shot they resign him at that point. And then you have to consider trading him for that reason alone. So. Yeah, and, and it, it kind of goes back to what KP said about Turner, too, when it comes to free agency. It's like, well, he's going to have a lot of suitors. So um, I enjoyed the noncommittal comment there from <laughs> KP in the athletic article about Turner's upcoming free agency in a few years. But, um, yeah, the, the draft is obviously going to be covered by both of us quite a bit as the season concludes. So we will get back on that. Number eight, fill in the blank. Rick Carlisle's grade for this season should be what? You know, it can't be good because they stink. Um, I talked about this on Lockdown Pacers yesterday. Evaluating coaching is impossible because yeah. I don't know what is said and what isn't said and what decisions are and aren't made. Like I can watch you play and see what decisions are and aren't made by a player on the court. I, like when, when evaluating Pritchard and Carlisle, don't know what they decide to do and don't decide to do and how they make those decisions and what information they have. So it's a little harder. Just going on results. I mean, you have to go at best C minus, right? Like they were, they were supposed to be decent this year. They wanted to be decent. Rick Carlisle talked about making the franchise relevant again uh, when he got hired and they are totally irrelevant at 24 or excuse me, 22 and 45 and don't appear to be relevant for the rest of this season. That doesn't mean they won't be next year. And perhaps we'll look back at this year as a year that he did a great job of, you know, doing the thing where Carlisle does where he turns bit players into solid guys and sets up their foundation for future seasons. And in that way, he could get a much better grade, honestly, later for the season than he is right now. But yeah, you no, know, there hasn't been like a, a ton of development uh, that's like super obvious and injuries have made it impossible to evaluate the guys that you'd want to see in that way. And the other guys whose development you're evaluating have only been around for 11, 11 games, 10 games now. So right. Duarte has certainly gotten better throughout the season, I think, uh, his decision-making, his he's not just chucking 15 shots a game and Carl there's a lot of credit for that. Isaiah Jackson, they've worked a lot with him on a lot of stuff, including the fouls, even though the results don't show it yet. So I do think he's a good coach. I do think he's doing a good job um, based on the conversations I can have with him and players. But if you have to give him a grade, I mean, just based on the stuff we can see and the results of this team, I mean, I got to go like C minus. Yeah. I, I said, I'd probably give him a C when I was asked this question a couple of weeks ago on our mailbag podcast. Um, but, but I also said if he was somewhat of the driving force to break up the double big and, and potentially, right, right. you know, make good some point. roster changes, I would give him a B plus. Just good because, point. Good point. You know, he definitely was involved in that stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I figured as much, right. So 
I just, I'm just saying if he was the driving force that kind of like pushed, whether it was ownership, whether it was KP and Buchanan, whoever he pushed to, to make some changes, I think that that deserves a B at least. <laughs> I gave him a B plus just because I was so hyped about the Halliburton trade at the time. But, you know, just, just because of his influence. And I think also what he did with the draft, uh, being able to spot out guys like Isaiah Jackson and, and Chris Duarte, uh, I think that he's got a keen eye in, in terms of seeing talent and wanting to get it. I mean, so we'll, I'll be intrigued to see what he thinks of some of the prospects this year moving forward. So yeah, Rick Carlisle, I, I think it's been underwhelming for sure because we were not expected to be a bottom dweller in the East, but I think, you know, taking a couple steps backwards to move three steps forward is not a bad thing, but uh, fill in the blank. Number nine, the Pacers will next make the playoffs, not the play in, in what year? 2023, 24. That is the last year they will have big money to spend around one Tyrese Halberton. And I think that is, Two seasons from now, so not next year, but the one after that, they can have the best amount of resources to build around their new young guy. And that's also close to the time when Chris Duarte will still be cheap. Isaiah Jackson will still be cheap. The only other guys under contract as of now are McConnell, Brogdon, and Heald, who we've discussed and trade stuff. Yeah, I think two years from now, they'll have the tools and the money to go all in on a team that will be back in the postseason. Is it possible next year? Yeah. Do I think it'll happen? Uh, No, I do not. Do you expect them to kind of have a similar season next year or more so of a closer to the play-in game, but probably still just on the edge? And they basically burned two roster spots for three months this season, more than that, uh, with Warren and Rubio and even Tristan Thompson for a little bit. And Miles is going to miss a bunch of months. So Brad Wanamaker was burning a roster spot, basically. (laughs) Uh, Keep Uh, keep Sykes barely plays and like, Keeper Sykes is a great emergency point guard, but they, they've been burning some roster spots this year thanks to injury. So, uh, yeah, definitely, I, mean, I definitely think they'll be better just on the notion of health next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just, you know, get as they continue, like like we just talked about with Carlisle's influence on deals, if he continues to shape the team in his image, and, like, that's sort of a, a college trope, right? Like, oh, this coach has his own guys now. You know, if Carlisle gets his own guys, uh, then I think they'll definitely be better. So I think they'll be a better team next year. Maybe they fight for 10 or can get up to eight or something. I don't know, but I don't, I don't think they will be quite a playoff team next year. But after that, I think that'll be when it happens, especially because then they'll have a year two of whoever they decide to draft at the top of the draft this year. Yeah. And I think it'd be smart to hold on to that draft pick then for next year. If, unless they feel like there's, I've, I've thought for a while they could package this pick uh, this year, plus their next pick or their pick in 2023 to move up into the top, like three, if they really like a guy similar to what Dallas did to go get Luca. I'm not sure if there's a guy that they really feel like has that, level of potential and also knowing from a lot of guys that cover the draft that I've talked to the 2023 class is loaded. So if they're able to maybe just stink one more year to get back into the draft next year, now you're really talking about an incredibly young core. It doesn't seem like the timelines fit with Carlisle, uh, you know, his age and his contract to kind of be coaching a team in a rebuild, but I, I guess it's kind of where we're at now. If I'm not, you know, if I'm, Unless they unless they try to make an all-in move for next year, I just don't want to see them force force it too much next year and then kind of set themselves back to where they already are. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Wembenyama makes twenty twenty three alone like insane. Like that <laughs> that dude is gonna be an unreal NBA player, and he's in twenty twenty three. I know Scoot Henderson's really good too. I don't I don't know a ton of that class, but if I know more than one player two years in advance. Right, it's, pretty, it's a pretty good draft class. So yeah, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I quite like twenty twenty three just for those two guys alone. If they get they get Wemby, I mean, <laughs> that's like wow. that's like franchise altering stuff. But the, you know, next year's like like I see jokes on Twitter about teams tanking for twenty twenty three, like starting now uh, because of him. He's that good. Wow. So that that is something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, don't anticipate the Pacers tanking, but hey, we are kind of still tanking right now. So uh, number ten. Fill in the blank. The biggest surprise, good or bad for this season, has been? Uh, I would have said Justin Holiday before the trade deadline. I mean, he just took such a weird step back. You know, he was supposed yeah. to be this reliable three. And he, he actually really picked it up at the turn of the calendar. Like in the year 2022 onward, he shot the ball pretty well. And he ended up at like almost 38% for the Pacers. You know, that's not, that's not atrocious or anything, but... He was really inconsistent. His defense took a massive step back. Like he was way worse this year than last year in a way that really, really surprised me. And that's lame to say that it's some bit role player, but I was really surprised uh, at the steps back that he took at the beginning of the year. And I think that was a big factor in some of their struggles is they thought they had this three and D piece that 
was neither three or D for many of their games. Uh, I think on the positive side, compared to my expectations, I think Dwayne Washington's probably the biggest surprise. Him and Terry Taylor both really. Yeah, have been Terry a, Taylor was mine for good. <laughs> yeah, have both been effective guys on two way deals that you know I I didn't know anything about them really besides their insane G League stats or in Washington's case insane G League shooting and. Yeah, like Terry Taylor looks like an obvious rotation player to me. Like he's an amazing, amazing rebounder and has great poise and finishing around the basket. Dwayne Washington's his guard with crazy good trigger from deep and is fearless and makes quick decisions. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to find like good success rookies on two ideals. And they got two. So that, that's yeah. both two positive surprises. Yeah, I know the Justin Holiday point's a great one because I was like, man, he is not playing good this year. And quite Look frankly, at his, his stats in Sacramento are, are bad. Bad. Yeah, I, mean, I, I I watched a few Kings games since the trade, and he has not like stood out or anything. But he has been really struggling with the Kings. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's more so just him getting older, a lot of wear and tear on his body. I don't know if it's that, or if it's just um, him starting so much over the last year plus for the Pacers, and now the Kings. I don't even know if he's still starting for the Kings. He was. Yes. Yeah. He's still starting. So I mean, you know, maybe I think he's playing a much bigger role in my opinion, than what he really is. I don't think he's a starter in the league. I think he's a role player off the bench. And we saw him really thrive in that role just a few years ago uh, when McMillan was still here. But with all the injuries, unfortunately, he had to play a much bigger role. And I think that could have played into it just getting him tired legs quicker and he's getting older as a, as a professional. It just It just was weird, though, the drop-off. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but maybe he's just not motivated with either team and – Potentially, if he goes somewhere where he could be a little bit more motivated with a winning situation, I could see that maybe turning things around for him. But yeah, that's uh, that's that sucks for him that he's not played as great. But you know, Dwayne Washington Jr. he was going through quite a bit of a slump, and he kind of seems to have broken out of that. And then Terry Taylor, I don't, you know, you guys talked about. I'm laughing because they played Detroit on Friday, and I literally before the game in pregame media said, "Hey, Rick, you know, uh, Dwayne's been really struggling in a slump recently, like." What, what do you feel like you can do to, to kind of set him up better to get him out of this as he kind of feels his way to the new team? And Rick's like, I didn't know Dwayne was slumping. And I was like, oh, boy. And then he was awesome that night and hit half his threes and had 16 <laughs> points and has been playing well ever since. So, obviously, um, this is my fault for, for suggesting the slump was happening. But the day I asked about it and how they can fix it, he just, yep, he figured it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that's, that's too funny. And then Terry Taylor, like you guys talked about it on your podcast uh, Thursday, you know, why he's not getting more minutes, it's a little bit – perplexing because he's been so good um, I know he's not a great shooter and I think he'll have to develop a shot probably to stick around being undersized but just the the knack that he has for rebounding like he has such a nose for the basketball always seems to be in the right position and one thing I really like is just his off-ball movement I think he just always seems to find the open gaps when when he is playing and really I just feel like for those that don't know much about him it's just watching him play like you know you've been on him all I think Prior to the season starting, you're like, this is a really good find for the Pacers, and he was killing it in the G League. Uh, I was surprised that they didn't give him that final roster spot this season whenever they waived Tristan Thompson. They still have an open roster spot. I was hoping that maybe he would get it just because I feel like he could be part of the rotation moving forward, uh, especially next year. But uh, I'm not sure if that's the case, depending on who all they bring back and what they draft. So I think maybe that's why they've held on to that. I don't know if you have any uh, – comments on that but i'd love to hear them yeah. uh, i've thought about uh doing a segment on lockdown pacers about why the pacers still haven't used their roster spot mostly because the answer is i don't know i have no idea i mean they they, <laughs> they crossed the point where like that they could use the mle now and sign a guy to a three-year deal they could even sign a guy to like a 1.2 million dollar deal for the rest of the season if they want to give someone like a handsome deal that's like good i mean they shouldn't do that but they could like their their tax concerns are gone their bonus concerns are gone. Like Miles Turner's not making all defense. Buddy Hield's not making the playoffs. Like they can, they could do it now. They could sign someone now. So either they don't feel like they want to, maybe they want to save some money. And given that they spent a bunch on their crappy team all season, like I can't fault them for that, I guess. Uh, it, it's kind of insulting to fans, obviously, but I can't fault them for, for thinking that way. Mm -hmm. uh, I really have no idea. I mean, they have, they have an open spot and, you know, especially if Brogdon, like, who got this concussion, is out this weekend. Like, you're going to be playing – Lance is hurt. Like, you're going to be playing Kiefer Sykes, like, 30 minutes a game. You know, you want to get maybe get a point guard in on a 10-day. But I have no idea why they haven't signed someone is my answer. Yeah, bring Brad Wanamaker back for ten for, <laughs> for a 10-day. I'm sure fans would love that. <laughs> it would help with the tank, right? So, um, but no, I'm kidding. I mean, I was a little bit surprised because this team has never really kept an open roster spot as long as I can remember. The only time I remember KP doing it for a little bit was – 
uh, between when they cut Damian Wilkins and then signed Trevor Booker, mm. uh, except they really promoted Poitras for a little bit in there. And so that was really the only thing I can remember where they kind of seriously had one open for more than like a month, but even that that's like it. Yeah, I know it's, it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre. And I feel like they should have kept one open back, especially during the 2011 through 2014 era, just because, you know, that was, a, that was a team that had the opportunity to, you know, go to the NBA finals and, you know, they could have just kept those spots open, but uh, let's move on. Number 11, we got two left here. So the best realistic player to trade for this off season to pair with the Pacers young core would be who? N.A., I have – I'm just guessing. Uh, Zion Williams. I don't know. Who, who's going to be a good young player who's available? That, that's kind of my answer. I, that one is the one I just shrug. Like, I yeah. P.J. Washington, maybe. I mean, he, he fits a lot of their needs and is good and is, I guess, maybe available on a, a team that's struggling. Uh, but it, it, it's hard to come up with guys without knowing who's available or what team's motivations are going into next season. That one, I even when you sent me the questions before, I was like, oh, I, I'm not going to come up with anything on that one. Well, you know, I know that you're not a big trade person. So I was like, well, I'll just throw these out here. Usually I give you a list of names. If I worked for an NBA team, I think trades would be interesting because I'd know every trade possible, you know, that, mm-hmm. that's like been offered to my team. And then I could like evaluate them and understand guys' values. But I just, I always just feel like I'm guessing from where I sit. And it, it makes it so frustrating for me. Yeah. And I think part of it for me too, it's like, I try to like think of like, oh, what, what teams could want X player on our team? Like I, I could see, I could see where New York would be really intrigued by Barack. You know what I'm saying? Just getting a point guard there. Yeah. Is there a young player on that team that I'd like? I really like quickly. I think Obi Toppin's somewhat intriguing. I don't know if you know. I feel like that's a fair trade for those two. Obviously, I don't think it is, but you know, I'm just like, okay, those two guys are interesting. I could kind of, I kind of like the idea of Malcolm down in New Orleans as well. Um, not sure what you get back, but Zion, you know. there we go. We found it. Yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Zion, but you know, even like, Hey, what would it take to get Herb Jones? I mean, I don't think they're trading him, but you know, you never know. Uh, push comes to shove. If they really feel like they have something there. Um, if Zion's healthy with JV and you got Brandon Ingram and McCollum and Brogdon, would they be willing to part with Herb Jones? I mean, if that's what the line they like, maybe, you know, I'm just, just- Looking at the standings, I mean, I, I think I like the way you're doing this. I uh-huh. think that's how you have to do it is like find good fits. And I think the other side of that is like, okay, what teams are going to go through a big change of direction this summer, either from bad to good or good to bad. And the first team I just saw that came to my head was the Portland Trailblazers. What young guys do they have? Because they, their Dame impression, they have about 15 games, <laughs> right? Like yeah. so any young guy on the Blazers you like, I feel like could be a good choice here. Well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're giving up Simons, but you know, <laughs> no, that's not no the way. only one. Like, oh man, he looks amazing. Yeah, you like, like Nasser Little as a front office? Maybe that's one, I guess. But yeah, you know, it's hard to find teams that are trying to go from good to bad either. I don't, I mean, I, unless I'm missing someone obvious, but yeah, no, I, I couldn't think of anybody obvious. The Hornets obviously always make sense. Um, just because we've heard Turner yeah, rumors there right. for like five years. Um, I was joking with Spencer Percy because they had PJ Washington on their podcast. I just commented future pacer, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, we, we crack up, we message about it every year. Like it's never going to happen, but it's the trade that never gets the trade rumor that n- always gets brought up every year. But, uh, last one here, I think this is an interesting one, uh, fill in the blank final one, the best way. For the Pacers to utilize their potential cap space this summer would be to do what? Ooh. So I, I need to do an explainer on this on my show in a while. First off, uh, my answer would be take in contracts in trades and get assets with them. And that doesn't necessarily mean take back like bad contracts and trades. Just like they're like Bradley Beal's a free agent this summer and Zach Levine's a free agent this summer. Like there's a chance teams want to open space, and that doesn't mean they'll trade away bad contracts, just expensive-ish ones and if you're the Pacers if you can take those on and get assets from those teams who are trying to do something big then I think that's a very smart thing to do because like who are you signing this summer is not that good of a free agency class especially at the the junction the Pacers are at where they're younger now and growing I don't think there's a free agent that like they should be going all in for so my first answer is they shouldn't really use it to sign someone they should more so be taking in stuff and getting more assets that way my second answer is I don't know if they're going to be a cap space team because they could use cap holds and use their holds for the MLE and their trade exceptions to just stay over the cap. And I don't think that's a crazy idea either. That's kind of like what the Thunder did this year. And then they'd have trade exceptions and the MLE still, and they could keep their draft picks and um, they could easily resign their own guys. Like that's not a crazy idea to me. There's probably a point where they say we'd rather have the space and having both options is still nice, but 
it's not crazy to me that they decided to stay over the cap because cap space does not mean a lot for a team like Indiana. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I've, I've, I've thought about it multiple times here. It's like, look, obviously everybody would love Miles Bridges, obviously. Like that's like the only free agent that I think makes any sense in terms of giving a, a good amount of money to. But at the same time, like, you know, you got to expect Charlotte's going to pretty much match anything that he's offered. I mean, 100%. and so there's no doubt in my mind that would be the only way that, you know, the Pacers could get involved in that is if they did like a sign and trade where they give up a lot of stuff and, and Charlotte feels like they get something good out of that. But other than that, I don't really see any, any key free agents. I feel like the best way to go is just be a trade. Like you mentioned, um, taking on contracts, bigger contracts with the player attached potentially that they like, you know, kind of similar to the buddy heel stuff with, with Tyrese Halliburton, obviously, uh, you know, you get rid of Sabonis and that. So it's a lot bigger deal, but I mean, you know, going back to the Knicks, once again, obviously they signed a lot of guys to some bigger contracts like Fournier, Kimball Walker. Would I really want them on the roster? Probably not. But, you know, if you attach like Toppin with with Kimball Walker's contract and something like, is it the end of the world? Like, I don't think it's the worst deal possible uh, if they really have, if they really like Obi Toppin, just throwing out that as an example. So that to me is one way I could see them doing it. Um, but also if a team is trying to create some cap space, and they want to move off somebody, but give picks up to, you know, get rid of that contract to go out and get somebody. I could see that being another thing the Pacers are intrigued by. You know, they've not really been a team that loves picks, but um, after this year, I think that that has to be on the table just because, Agreed. you know, picks are always so much more enticing um, before they're actually selected. So I think just having the potential of future picks would be, so so versatile for this team and all the different ways they could go about the flexibility, I guess I should say, for how they go about rebuilding the roster. Yeah, I think if they go the space route, you know, Bridges is the one. I think I agree with you that if they spend a lot of money, he's like the only guy that makes any sense to me. Uh, but I, I think Flyers makes more sense too. Like we already talked about Jalen Smith and TJ Warren on one plus ones. Like maybe like one year of Kevin Knox or like one year of Bull Bull or one year of Frank Nilakina or stuff like that, where it's like guys who have had flashes of success or were drafted high in Knox's case, <laughs> um, but haven't panned out at all. Like, you know, if you're, if you're really going gung ho for the next draft, or you think you're going to be really much better in two years, it seems like that's a good way to potentially find some value, but not completely shoot yourself in the foot for future agencies. Nick Claxton probably fits in that group as well. There's a bunch really. So that that's kind of how I think they they could use it if they actually want to sign players. But they also don't have like a ton of roster spots. So you know, yeah. with with the draft picks that they have, I mean, three in the top thirty one, those guys are all locked to make the team. Like if you if you take out Warren, Lance, and Jalen, like ta da, we did it, we're done. So it, it's not. I don't think they're going to be a big big involved team in free agency. You think they'd use all three draft picks and, and take players at all three picks? Um. Yeah, I, I think at least two first they'll take someone. Um, I guess they all have four unrestricted free agents because I forgot Rubio again. Yeah. So may, maybe they do the thing they did with you know 31 last year and try to use it plus, I don't know, a future pick or a young guy to get into the late first. But um, yeah, I think I think three youngish success like potential guys would be what they want. But then if they're trying to be good next year, maybe they, they don't do that. So they, they, their draft is impossible for me to predict, but – yeah, if they do walk away with three picks. I mean, all of a sudden they're 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 spending in free agency is just limited by the roster unless they make some trades. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if they try to package the Cavs pick plus that Rockets pick to move up uh, in the draft. I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, maybe like two two spots or so. If there's a guy they like, I guess that could make sense. Um, but at the same time, like you know that range, you know tier wise, it always feels like anywhere from like after the lottery, like 15 to usually like 25, there's always like that tier of players that it's debatable. So I, I don't really think there'd be a real reason to, uh, you know, give up that pick. Now that the player that would make a lot of sense to me that you potentially move off of with that um, 31st pick is Gogo Batadze. Um, if there's a team willing to take him, I just, I don't feel like Gogo's a part of the long-term future of this team either. Just his style of play looks much slower than what Carlisle wants to do. I know that he's played better the last couple of games, but, it's it's been kind of a rough experience here for Goga. I don't know how you feel about it, but it just seems to me like the Goga era is coming to an end. I uh, my my stocks in Goga are worth millions. I I own all <laughs> of them now. So if he turns out good, I will be a rich man one day. Last two games have definitely looked more promising, uh, and some of that's just the three ball falling. Like <laughs> he's yeah. seven for his last ten from three. If that comes around, all of a sudden his fortunes drastically change. You can be slow if you just have to stand behind the arc and shoot him. 
Um, but yeah, I get the slowness thing. Like I've talked about that too. Like that is definitely the most, the most hindering part is, and especially with what Rick likes, you know, he wants them to play fast and up tempo and be able to push off of misses and off of steals, just fast, 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 go, go, go. So yeah, Goga can't really do that that well, but this year he's finishing like unbelievably well around the rim career high, shooting a career high from deep. His defense looks better. I'm the last guy who still thinks he has some value apparently, but um, yeah, I get totally why he'd be the guy that makes sense in the straight, especially contractually because he does one year left. Yeah. sort of similar to the Aaron Holiday thing last year. And you know me, I'm, I'm all about the contract tracking, but uh, yeah, so I think he is likely to be the guy in that situation, like you said, but I, I still hold more stock in his future with the Pacers than everyone else. Do you have more stock in his future than Aaron Holiday's was last year? I re- I recall a time when I was the only person down on the Aaron <laughs> Holiday pick after the 2018 draft. Um, no, I definitely had more stock in Holiday last year. I think. Okay. Uh, not a, I didn't have a lot in him, but he could he could play two positions and and I, he clearly was limited. But you know, you definitely saw the blueprint of how he can be a reserve guard. And like he's still helping other teams. He was okay for the Wizards and is helping the Suns, who are very injured yeah. right now. So yeah, he's definitely like like a reserve like a deep reserve guard guard he's not like amazing or anything but um yeah i had a little bit more faith in him than Goga. i would say last year yeah that's all i was trying to figure out because you know it's like well you know i wasn't expecting the Aaron holiday trade at all like it kind of surprised me to be honest with you but i was uh also intrigued by how they got up to get that pick so um really good stuff so tony you guys can follow him obviously at t east nba on twitter you guys probably hear him quite frequently on Locked on Pacers, but also doing some work for Forbes, WTHR, and the West Side Community News. So, Tony, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. I had a great time talking Pacers, and I will uh, do it again in a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds good. You guys can follow our show at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, and the man who is getting actually married when you're probably listening to this on Friday, the one and only Fachi. Uh, follow him at underscore F-A-C-C-I. So uh, he is enjoying the last 24 hours being a uh, non-married man. So uh, send, him a, send him some good luck and some grad- congratulations tweets over there at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And we will talk to y'all uh, tomorrow. Let's go Pacers! This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.